What is up guys and welcome to the Meeple Minded Podcast, the podcast where we talk all things tabletop gaming. My name is Jason. And I'm James. And would you believe it, we have actually been playing some games this week. Yes, we have. We have indeed. And it includes the one that we're going to be talking about today. But before we get to that, I personally, or in fact both of us, I think, want to say a huge thank you to all of those new subscribers that we've had over the past few weeks. We have seen the results coming in and it's been great to see. Yes, and if you're not subscribed and are just listening along, please do subscribe as we do release an episode every Tuesday. Indeed, and of course we'll love you forever. Exactly. Why wouldn't you with, with that on the table? Mm. But yeah, literally no matter where you're from, whether you're local to where we are or whether you are from across the many seas, you're welcome here. We really do appreciate everything you do. So yeah. That being said, I think we should dive in headfirst into this week's game highlight. Can you remember what game we're going to be talking about, James? Uh, it is a zoography this week, Jason. That is right. This week we have been focusing our attention to the animal kingdom as we strive to make the best appealing zoo for our wonderful, wonderful animal brethren. And thus gain us points and win the game, which is, let's be honest, far more important. Indeed. <laughs> I'm only joking. Don't don't come crying to us that we don't care about animal rights. We, we do care about animal rights, but, you know, we're gamers. Points matter. So... What is Zoography? Well, Zoography is a two to four player game that can also be played solo or cooperative with the addition of the Connections expansion. But for the purpose of this game highlight, we will be focusing on the main game mode. The game was released in early 2021 by Doomsday Robots and is designed to be played by ages 14 and up with a playtime of about 15 minutes per player. So it's a nice short game. An easy one, as we will discuss later. During the game, players first draft a single enclosure or attraction building tile, then perform up to two actions. These include building a tile from your hand onto your zoo, and the other is drafting animals from the animal track. Players have to balance building pens to support the animals available, while also building sufficient attractions to keep guests engaged. Each zoo can earn up to 10 stars, by meeting a variety of specific goals involving biodiversity, attractions, features, and aesthetics. Play continues until all draft tiles are gone, at which point players assess the criteria that you have matched and just how many stars you have achieved. The player with the most stars wins. Nice and simple. So that's the very quick summary we're going to give you of what zoography is all about. But now James is going to tell us about what comes in the box when you purchase this game and i will just caveat this very quickly the copy that we have here is the deluxe edition okay jason right so contained within the box you get 41 zoo tiles five city objective cards four gate tiles four uh, player tiles one zoo planning card one zoo requirements card three animal draft cards four reference cards 24 visitor meeples and 42 animal meeples. Very, very nice. So it's a quite a short uh, short list, but there's quite a lot of each of the components. So. Yes. Okay, so that's what comes in the box. So let's first talk about those exact components. What are your opinions on the stuff that came in this box? I mean, this is, of course, something I backed on Kickstarter. 
I'll let you go first as to you know, critique my game, James. Critique it. Um, on the whole, I think it's a very good game. It's uh, build quality is very good. The um, animal meeples are pretty good. The um, the basic animals are fairly bit just coloured wood, but the um, the secluded animals, as we will talk about later, mm-hmm. are, are quite impressed with the detail on them. Yeah, they've got a bit of that. Um, I think it's sort of silk screening, I believe it is, just to give it just that little bit of detail to really emphasise what the animal is. Yeah. Um, the basic ones, as you say, they are just painted. They're brightly coloured as well, which I really like, and it helps to really identify which ones are which. Yeah. Uh, but also the shape of them, they are shaped perfectly. You, it's not like you can look at it and go, well, I'm not really sure what animal that is. Yeah. You know, the, the basic ones, I think you've got uh, an elephant, a giraffe, a um, rhino. Yeah. They're your big ones. Uh, I believe it's a ostrich, a gazelle. Is it a horse? Uh, might, it might be a horse or a zebra, that, yeah. that, that type of thing. Um, so, yeah, very easy to pick out on those. But like you say, then you've got the special secluded animals, which are your sort of bonus ones in the Kickstarter with those silk screening where, let's be honest, none of them matter other than the sloth. Oh, no, the meerkats. <laughs> So yeah, there's a nice wide range of animals that come in this game, and they are really, really good quality. And for me, this was actually one of the longest waits I had for a Kickstarter. They had so many production issues with this game, and I've got to say, it was worth the wait. The quality that they've kicked out with this game. I know it's only wood and meeples and tiles, but they're spot on. Yeah, they the, really are good. The tile. Let's talk about the tiles as well. The tiles are very durable. The uh, print on them is nice. Um, it's good card stock, so it's not going to like be damaged easily. So yeah, I'm quite impressed with the quality. Yeah, uh, the artwork for the game as well uh, that comes on those tiles and on the box itself. It's really really nice. It's, it is another cartoonized version, but it's not like a kiddified cartoon, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's not as. Um, like kidified, like you said, is something like uh, Meeple Land, which we've spoken about in the past, which really is that sort of childlike cartoon. Yeah, yeah. It's it's almost a video game esque, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's as almost as if it has literally taken the art stylings of like Zoo Tycoon and transposed it over into sort of artwork for a board game, and it, it's really, really it works perfectly. Yeah, it really does. I'd agree with that. Um, and it's another game. and it's a rarity for me to say this, it's another game where I feel Meeples suit it. If they'd done miniatures, it would would have ruined it. So I'm really glad they stuck with with, with the wooden Meeples. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, that's the quality of the the components here. I mean, just very very quickly before we move on, I have to talk about the rulebook. I have read through the rulebook, and I know you have as well. The rulebook is really well laid out. It's nice and clear. And as we discovered, there were a couple of components that were used during the game that maybe didn't summarize what they need what they needed to the best of their ability, but literally within seconds of opening up the rulebook, you had your answer. Yeah. So that is definitely characterizing of a really well written rulebook. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, that is what we are going to talk about with the components. Let's talk about the gameplay. I think we've got a fair bit to say about this, haven't we? Mm. The drafting mechanic. Let's start there. The whole game is built around the drafting mechanic. How do you feel that worked for you? 
it makes the game very difficult. That's combined with the uh, before we get to the drafting mechanic. Let's actually talk about the tile placement because you're pulling a a tile out of the out of the pool as your first thing that you do, yeah. and then you get two actions. You can either place a tile down on the table because it is a tile building game. Uh, you can do that twice, or you can take some animals from the animal track. But you have to take all the animals that are on the square and you have to have space for all. There's no holding pen. If you don't have a pen ready for them to go in, you can't take any of them. Yeah, yeah. And it is, you have to be thinking three moves ahead and all it takes is one person to take the tile that you're banking on. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And there goes three turns of planning. And it, it sort of, I mean, would you say it really instigates hate drafting? You know, people that are just draw you know they can see you're after those particular animals and oh look i can actually house those animals doesn't benefit me in any way but it really screws you over so yeah you know, i mean if you, know you manage to work out what your opponent's doing or what they're <laughs> going for which normally will happen with regards to what animals they want because they'll have spent two turns at least previously going damn it i can't fit them in <laughs> <laughs> very very true and and the, i mean to counteract that though i love the fact that the meeple, or sorry, whichever animals you have don't technically mean anything. Like, you don't get more points for having a rhino over an ostrich. But there are indeed bonuses on the actual game board that everyone has access to. So maybe have five out of the six basic animals in your park and you get five points. Yeah, and that's an aspect of this game I actually want to talk about is the way the city tiles and all of that come together, this game's got great replayability because of the random way you set it up. So you'll have restrictions like you'll start losing points if your zoo starts to go out of a 4 by 4 grid. Uh, You might get a requirement that has one of each of the basic animals. You might get a requirement that says you have to have two fully enclosed Zoo, and they are random, so there's a lot of re- replayability in this game. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think there there is a lot, and the fact that there is already an expansion for it adds to that. You've also got the fact that they have confirmed there is another expansion coming later in the year. I'm really looking forward to, yeah, to seeing so what I. that brings to the table. If it brings more tiles, that means more replayability. You know, I'm all about that replayability. I'm totally game for that. Yep. So yeah, I love the fact that you've you've you're forced to draft your tiles, you know, and there's only ever six to choose from at the start, and then of course as they're taken, it goes down until it gets down to one, and then it's you know that you get more tiles to choose from. But it's so cool because you you can sit there and you can watch your opponent's eyes and see which one they're eyeing up. It's like, well, okay, that one would probably suit me best, but that one clearly is going to suit them best, and that means they'll achieve this particular goal. Do I? go on spiteful mode or do i go on i want to do this mode the best thing though about this game is no points are are worked out until the end of the game yes so if you are a hardcore player yeah you sure can sit there looking at everyone else's board going well they're they're gonna achieve that they're gonna achieve that they're gonna achieve that but when the game has the mechanics of you can only ever achieve a maximum of 10 points is it really necessary i don't really think it is no so this is very, very clearly geared towards people that want to have fun. It's a very lightweight game. I know you say it's sort of, it is quite hard. Mm. But when when you say that, do you mean it's actually quite hard to play or do you, do you just mean it can force you to make some hard decisions? Hard decisions. Like trying, 
especially once the top, as as the game goes on and every time the um the tile section gets down to one tile left and the animal draft happens the longer the game goes on it's harder to draw the animals because the tiles that hold the animals are filling up yeah and as i've said before you have to take every animal that's on the tile yeah so turn 1 there might only be one or two animals on that tile by like turn 4 there'll be four or five on each yeah. tile and I, I think as well with that kind of mechanic, it, it there are multiple ways of playing it. Like, But I know both you and I have played it the same way in the sense of generally in the first turn, we've picked, we've drafted our tile, built that tile, and then immediately claimed some animals to put them in there. There is no problem with you going the whole game without claiming any animals. And then claiming a the load end. of enclosures and then just claiming whatever there is. Because at that point... There's going to be lots of animals on there, and you're going to be able to house them. Yep. And the secluded, as we now get to the secluded animal mechanic, and you don't do what I did in the last game, which was <laughs> gun for them because I know you wanted them, and then realise ah, they only have- they can be in that enclosure, and they have to be in separate enclosures as well. So you had to sacrifice two large pens in order to house them. At which yep. point you then shafted yourself because you then couldn't get other yep. animals. And I think, if we're honest, that actually did cost you the game. Yeah. But the likelihood of that happening, it's quite slim. Yeah, we, we got quite unlucky that we had two secluded animals coming out on the track and then ended up on that same drafting square. Yep. So, you know, loads of replayability on that as well. So, yeah, the, the other... Once you've drafted your animals, you then move into the placing stage yeah yeah and you have to place them in certain pens a lot of the animals work with each other yeah so the um the rhino can be with a gazelle or a horse the elephant can be with a, an ostrich or a, um, a gazelle and the giraffe can be with a horse or the uh, ostrich so mm-hmm. certain animals can share pens but there isn't one animal that can share with everything all, everything yeah. And obviously the secluded animals themselves are exactly as it says on the tin. They must remain secluded. They have to be in a pen on their own. Yeah. I like the added requirements as well that all the animals need a sleeping area. Yeah. And then the large animals need two watering holes, which are depicted on the actual tiles. Yeah. I mean, that that worked really nicely. And I think the first time we were playing this, we didn't actually notice uh, the watering hole part. But that actually changed things quite considerably because you couldn't just build a tiny little pen that happened to have four sleeping areas with no watering hole, but you shoved four elephants in there. Mm. You know, <laughs> it just didn't work. So, yeah, again, it's it's little things, little thought processes that have gone into creating this game that I'm really, really impressed with. And for all the people that we've played it with, they've all said the same thing. They absolutely love this game. It's so simple. Yet it's using what most people would use as quite advanced mechanics. You know, drafting is not something you find in an easy-to-learn game. Hmm. Okay, so there's another thing. Obviously, there are, some of the tiles have attractions on. Yes. And that is where you then get to place your your guests, if you like. And I will talk a little bit about them later as well, because I have a few things to say about that. There's certain attractions, and I know there's... A certain one that really, really grinds your gears, James. Yeah, it does irritate me. And I would say it's my one niggle about this game. And that is the the restaurants and the seating areas, which mm-hmm. obviously come in separate tiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the restaurants require two seating areas. And it's the fact that you have to say you've placed your restaurant tile. The seating areas all have to touch the restaurant. You can't do them in 
like, in a I, line, I, yeah. If it was me writing it, I would have allowed it to be in an unbroken line. So if it went restaurant, seating area, seating area. As long as it was unbroken between the restaurant yeah. and the second seating area, I would have allowed that. But no, it's got to be yeah, like that. It has so, to be touching. Yeah. But you might end up in a situation as our first game did where you've drawn a restaurant and you don't get a seating area draft out of the deck until turn six. And by that time, you've, yeah. by necessity, yeah. had to wall in your restaurant. And yeah. it's like, all right, now I can't put my seating. Yeah. I actually did that in uh, in the game that we played last night. It, it was, I think it was my second tile that I drafted and it was right in the corner and I ended up building around it. So I, I wasn't able to to get my, my visitor in there, which kind of sucked, but it didn't really hinder me too much. Mm. But I know what you're saying. It would make sense that if you've got, say, the restaurant and then two seating areas in a line, that to me is two seating areas or just one very big seating, seating area, area, which would be yeah, more as long as it's an unbroken line. Yeah, fair enough. Well, this is another good thing I will say about the game just very quickly before we move on to our final thoughts on this game. I will say that being part of the Facebook groups, uh, the designers of the games are both in there. And usually if someone puts a post on there, I would say within an hour, the actual designers will answer that question as well as the rest of the community. They all help. It's a great community to be part of. But the fact that the the actual designers are still there, they're still very involved in that community and are happy to answer people's questions, I think that's fantastic. I've yeah, never seen that before. That's great support from the uh, from the developers. So, yeah, I, I'm... Well, I think it's pretty obvious. I'm definitely behind this game. I like this game a lot. Oh, I love this game. I mean, the, my my one thing that I've said against it is a very tiny, oh, it's tiny, tiny thing, and it's just something. It's a personal play preference to me. Yeah. So yeah, it's an it's an excellent game. Okay, so should we move on to our final thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What what's what are your final thoughts on zoography? Uh, definitely one to add to your collection. Uh, if you're if you haven't heard of it, if you're thinking of buying it, buy it. It's a brilliant game. Yep. Um, brilliant quality, excellent replayability, really fun game. Nice. As always, I have written my final thoughts down so I can remind myself because my memory is terrible. So we're going to go through it. I do have a couple of questions for this game. Uh, the first one is the age rating. Listed as 14 and up on the box. Why? Why is it a 14 plus? Is it purely down to the fact that they're small meeples? If so, every game would be a 14 plus, which they're not. So it can't be that. The game has really low complexity. So it's not it that it's too complicated. I can't see any reason why this game is a 14 plus. I would happily say, I mean, I looked on Board Game Geek earlier and they said 8 plus on there. I, I'm not sure I'd say 8, but I would definitely say 10 plus. 8 to 10, I'd say. Yeah. I would love to know why it's down as a 14 plus, but I, I really don't see why. So do not be scared by the age on this game. If you want to do this as a family game, it will work. So yeah, as I said, the, um, the game is low complexity, but it has a very high enjoyment factor. It provides a nice thrill of the chase aspect as you see all the players building their zoos, but no points are calculated till the end. So it's kind of... Nothing is set in stone until that that final round, that final tile has been drawn and everyone has placed their tiles down. The specified gameplay time on the box, 15 minutes per player, could not 
be more spot on. We played a game last night, two players. With setup, we were set up, playing, and finished in 45 minutes. So 15 minutes setup time, 15 minutes per player to play. It's spot on. And when we played a three-player game, very first time we played it, it took us an hour to play it. So an extra 15 minutes for the other player, even though we were learning the game, still only took us 15 minutes per player. So literally spot on. Yeah, so- it's a very quick, very quick game once you get going. Yeah. The game the game itself actually scales really well. That's the other thing. We've played it with two player, we've played it with three player, and I have played it with four player. Each time it's really good. It doesn't feel like it's dragging too much because it's two actions, boom, boom, done. Boom, boom, done. Boom, boom, done. And with four players, maybe two, three minutes before it gets back to you. Yeah, I mean, that's something we didn't mention in our overview is depending on how many players you have or the less players you have, the game actually tells you to remove tiles to scale it to scale it properly. I, I quite like that feature. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And it, and it works really well. Right. So I said I was going to talk about it, so I'm going to talk about it now. And that is the actual visitor meeples in this game. I absolutely love the fact that this game has great multicultural representation. As silly as it sounds, even just in the meeples, there's five different skin tones painted on those meeples. Didn't need to be done, but it was. I think that is fantastic. Yeah. Representation in games is always a good thing. Yeah. And it's not something that they have to do, as I've said, but they've done it. And it's a tiny little thing that I think will go under the radar of a lot of people. But, you know, these things need to be more apparent in games. And yeah, all right. Most meeples, they tend to be bright red, bright yellow, bright blue, whatever it be. They don't need to be skin colored. But this game has an element of realism to it because it's based on a real life thing of, you know, zoos and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, why not make the visitor meeples, which are clearly human shaped, make them, you know, multicultural. So, yeah, I, I think that's fantastic. And I think it's part of the co-op thing as well. There are actual characters that you can play. I've not looked into it properly yet, but they, again, look like they are very multicultural themselves as well. Yeah. So, yeah, top marks for that from me. And in fact, they're getting an extra mark from me when I come to my meeple rating it's, it's boosted it up a bit for that so yes speaking of the meeple rating it's that time of the podcast James are you ready to give your meeple rating I am indeed okay so let's hear what your meeple rating is for zoography I'm going to give zoography an 8 ooh uh, an extra point as you said for the uh, for the inclusivity included but yeah the replayability the uh, overall quality of the components, the gameplay for being nice and simple, but still fun. And yeah, I've just got to take a little bit off of that tiny little niggle, mm-hmm. but yeah, an eight. Nice. Brilliant game. Nice. If this was uh, a game that you owned, would it be a collection keeper? Yes, definitely. Excellent. That's what I like to hear. Okay. So, well, what's my meeple rating? Well, based on the fact that the game is fun and well produced, and while I prefer a more, say, medium weight game, this one definitely falls heavily into the lightweight category. So it may not be my cup of tea, if you like. It's not my what I would go to to choose. This is definitely a collection keeper for me. I am more than happy that I back this game 
I am going to be backing the the future expansions that they've got. I can't see this game ever coming out of my collection. It is a great zoo game. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of torn on this. It may not be my cup of tea, but it also is. So I had to look at it and I went, Do you know what? This game is perfect for the start of a night for me. Before I dive into my medium weight games, this is a great one for me to go for. Yeah, um, I, you know, like you, I prefer my slightly more complex games, uh, my medium and my heavyweight games. This is another one as well, though, to add to what you just said about it. It's either a really good icebreaker at the beginning of the night or it's a brilliant game to introduce new people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it could well be a good gateway game. With those things in mind... I have tentatively given this game 7.5. However, I am willing to revisit this when I have, one, checked out the co-op aspect of this game, and also when the new expansion comes out and I expect it to have a, a hell of a lot of replayability added to it, that is going to boost my rating if, if that is the case. Mm. So right now, it is a 7.5 for me. It got an extra 0.5 for its inclusivity uh, in the game. The quality of the, the components really helped it. And yeah, the gameplay is good fun. I am going to be more than happy. If, if, if someone says, I w- I'd like to play or try zoography, I will be more than happy to get down on that table and you know, teach them how to play it. Or if it's an established player, I'll happily play the game as well. It's really good fun. Would it would it replace, say, something like Scythe for me? Probably not. But as an icebreaker before playing Scythe, that's where we're talking. That's where this game sits in for me. And that's why it's a collection keeper. Definitely. So, yes. Any other little comments about zoography from you? Uh, I think we've covered everything so far, Jace. Yeah, it wasn't going to be a particularly long episode. It's a very short, sharp game, which means we were able to do a short, sharp episode, which is great. I like doing those because it means we get more time to game, James. Yes. Don't know what we're going to play. What are we fancy playing this time? What are we going to talk about in a couple of weeks? We've got two weeks before we do another game episode. Well, we've been talking about doing Root for a long time, Jason. I think it's time we actually knuckled down and got down to it yeah definitely uh, i think we should i think we should break out route let's break out route get our notes written and then we'll be doing that in two weeks but anyway on that note guys we're gonna pass over to the uh the man in the shed for this week's news kickstarters he costs me a fortune every time he does kickstarters because yeah. i hear the news i'm like do you know what i want to buy that anyway that yeah, means just think of it Jay. he's giving us material that we can then talk about it, this is true Let's, uh, paul talk about really good games because i love talking about good games come on go 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 yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yes great britain's got another bloody medal i've lost count now hey what's that oh we've just got another one too oh, fantastic Sorry, what was that? Animal Olympics? No, I don't think they have those. Yeah, maybe they should. But it's the Paralympics at the moment, and to be honest, I've been getting a bit more emotional at these than I did at the able-bodied ones. I'm glad you agree with me there, chap. And that's right, all of our local clubs are open to everyone. 
literally everyone, so it'd be great to welcome more disabled and indeed able-bodied members to our groups, and would be even better if we could get some Paralympians in, wouldn't that be good? Well there you go peeps, the offer's there. Oh that's right, Jason's waiting for this recording, so I better get my buttocks in gear. This weekend saw publisher Renegade Games head up their own virtual con, and amongst the reveals was a bespoke RPG system in the form of Essence 20, which they'll be bringing to many of their licenses including Power Rangers, G.I. Joe and indeed Transformers. First off, as you may suspect from the name, Essence 20 is a D20 based system. The core mechanic for resolving a roll is for the player to roll a D20 along with their skill die, which can be anything ranging from a D2 to a D20. The result of the D20 and skill die must exceed the difficulty of the test in order to succeed. Characters with a specialisation in the skill being tested get to roll their skill die and all the dice below it, and pick the highest result to add to their D20 roll, increasing their odds of success. What's more, a max value roll on any of the dice is a critical success, leading to more chances for crits, and more opportunities for great role-playing. Character creation follows a three-pronged approach based on their origin, what type of person they are, their role, what is their place on the team, and indeed their influence, so what experiences have led them to this point. Characters' abilities and skills are based on the four S's, strength, speed, smarts and social. These options give an amazing depth and breadth to the variety of characters that a player can create. The character backgrounds, character floor system and story point system awarded for mission successes, special heroics and spectacular role-playing lend themselves to a cinematic and cooperative role-playing experience that is a great fit for settings like Power Rangers, G.I. Joe and Transformers. So head on over to the Renegade Games website for more information on the new system and indeed their YouTube channel for videos demoing the system that they revealed over the weekend. IDW Games, the publisher behind the original release of Machi Koro, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle games and various other licensed board games, has indeed reportedly closed its doors. Launched as a division of comic book publisher IDW in late 2013, IDW Games released a number of games based on major animated properties, including the aforementioned Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Legend of Korra, and indeed games associated with Channel Nickelodeon. The label also joined forces with Pandasaurus Games to co-publish hit dice game Machi Koro, as well as its expansions, the 2015 Deluxe Edition and the spin-off Brightlight's Big City. And as well as the roster of licensed titles which span from 80s franchise Dragon Ball Z and Ghostbusters to retro Atari video games Centipede, Missile Command and Asteroids. Following a post on the board game Geek Forum in early August, designer Neil Kimball revealed that the upcoming comic book adaptation of Lock and Key, namely Lock and Key Shadow of Doubt, had been dropped by IDW, claiming that additional titles were to follow. Kimball said sadly this game got cancelled, along with a slew of other games they had in the pipeline just before it was going to press. I am in talks with other publishers to perhaps re-theme and update the game, but sadly Lock and Key Shadow of Doubt won't see the light of day. 
Wizards of the Coast has announced the next slew of pop culture crossovers making their way to a Magic the Gathering table near you soon. These will be in the form of the classic video game fighter Street Fighter in a secret lair event in 2022, and the immensely popular battle royale shooter Fortnite will see two secret lair events in the same year. The Fortnite Magic the Gathering cards will include reprints based on iconic in-game locations and characters from the free-to-play multiplayer game. Meanwhile, Secret Lair X Street Fighter will bring characters from the long-running Capcom fighting series roster to the card game, including Chun-Li, who will debut a new gameplay mechanic, Multi-Kicker, inspired by her fighting style and lightning kick special attack. Secret Lair typically offers artwork variants and reprints of existing Magic the Gathering cards for a limited time, rather than presenting new gameplay effects or mechanics. Although the game's crossover with The Walking Dead controversially saw brand new cards based on the zombie TV show offered exclusively via their limited Secret Lair format. While all of the Street Fighter cards will be mechanically unique, their new keywords and gameplay abilities will make an appearance in future releases. All be it relocated to the Magic the Gathering multiverse, including rare The List cards found in approximately 25% of set boosters. Later on in 2022 sees the game's workshop staple of Warhammer 40,000 come to Magic the Gathering in the form of four decks for the popular Commander format, featuring new artwork, cards and reprints based on the grimdark sci-fi miniatures game. Unsurprisingly, Space Marines are confirmed to be among the 40k factions set to make an appearance when the decks release in Q3 2022. Beyond 2022, the Lord of the Rings Tales from Middle-earth set will include characters from J.R.R. Tolkien's fantasy trilogy, including Aragorn, Frodo, Gandalf and indeed Gollum in a series of booster packs due for release in 2023. Over to crowdfunding now, the first two of these are up on Kickstarter, with the third being over on GameFound. First up is Super Truffle Pigs by Jason Carras, published by Games by Bicycle. It's for 2-4 players, takes 20-30 to 30 minutes to complete, it's for ages 8 years and over, and it ends on Friday, September the 10th. You get to navigate your way to victory as you use your superpowers to dig for truffles, and complete missions before the wolf packs reach you. Players draft three missions at the start of the game, and the missions provide victory points at the end. Each mission has unique requirements to complete, and missions can be completed anytime on your turn. Players use their actions to move across tiles to dig up truffles. Players may upgrade their actions throughout the game, and they must avoid the wolves, which do move at the end of each round. The truffles come in three types. Some truffles are indeed super truffles, which provide use of your super pig powers. Players play a number of direction cards at the end of their turn in order to program the movement of the wolves. At the end of a round, once all players have taken their actions, all direction cards are turned face up and the wolves are moved. And if a wolf lands on or moves through a tile with a pig, unfortunately, the pig is removed from the forest. Endgame is triggered when only one player's pigs are left in the forest or when there are three or less truffles left, and the player with the most points wins. We've got a few pledge levels. First up is this little piggy pledge at £26 or $35. That gets you the base game. £33 or $45 gets you the a Truffle Shuffle pledge. And that gets you the base game and a limited edition set of Super Truffle Pigs cards by Bicycle. 
When Pigs Fly Pledge gets you the base game and the spring and fall expansion packs for £37 or $50, or the Everything's Swine Pledge gets you the game, the expansions and the deck of cards, and that brings you in at £44 or $60. Next up on Kickstarter is Starship Shuffle by Curtis and Kyle Ahrens and published by A Games. It's for 1-5 to five players, takes 30 minutes, can be played by 14 years and over, and is due to end on Tuesday, September the 21st. Welcome to Starbase, Texas. Workers are crafting the behemoth known as Starship. You and your friends can now join this historic moment by cooperatively building the largest, most powerful rocket system to ever exist. Only your teammates can see your rocket components. Will you risk an accident in the production yard? Then try to launch and steer clear of a rapid, unscheduled disassembly. The game starts with a build phase. Each player is dealt a starting hand of rocket cards facing away from them. Players take turns playing one unseen card from their hand onto the field, trying to match it with the starship's blueprints. Alternatively, a player can choose to give a hint to a teammate, since players can see their teammates' hands. Successful plays of rocket cards reward players with the development cards, which can be used to increase the rocket's chance of a successful launch. If the player successfully build the starship, in time they move to the launch pad. The launch consists of different stages that must be successfully passed. To pass each launch stage, players take turns randomly drawing from a special hand of cards that is determined by the development cards acquired during the build phase. The game is won if players successfully launch and land their rockets. The game is lost if the rocket explodes during launch or if too many construction accidents happen during the build phase. And with only one pledge level, you can get the game at £22 or $38 Canadian dollars. And the last one of these is over on Game Found, and it is a Mythic Mischief by Austin Harrison, Max Anderson, and Zach Dixon, and published by IV Games. It's for one to four players, takes 45 to 90 minutes to complete, and is for ages 14 years and over. Discover the world of Mythic Manor in this thematic strategy game. Players one of seven student factions, each with unique asymmetric abilities, and you get to use your players to place rival classmates in the path of the dreaded Tome Keeper, sending them straight to the headmaster's office. No two factions play the same, and students take pride in their unique style of crushing the other factions. Moving enemies, moving walls, special actions, and after-lunch abilities are all unique and at your disposal. Enchanted for ease of use a millennia ago, the library has grown to have a mind of its own. Its dark corridors of books are known to change, even more so with students constantly moving things around to play into their schemes. Players are able to upgrade their faction's ability throughout the game by collecting powerful tomes from around the library. Pone Chilling Tomekeeper takes its role of guardian very seriously though. While plodding through its daily tasks of returning tomes to their proper place, it keeps a sharp eye out for trespassing students. The winner is the first team to score 10 mischief points, or the team with the most points when the Tomekeeper finishes returning all of their tomes after lunch. Pledge levels and end date were unavailable at the time of recording, but the project is live as of this podcast release, which is the 1st of September 
and we're heading on over to events and it's only a few weeks until myself and Mid Sussex Meeples are back for our first game day in over 12 months. We'll be here in Burgess Hill on the 19th of September from 10am till 6pm where we'll be back to our normal as can be routine and able to offer a for sale table for those of you trying to make space for games or pick up some new additions. And the address of the hall is Cypress Hall, Burgess Hill, West Sussex, RH158 DX and the date is the 19th of September and entry is £5 per person with refreshments available. Other than that the weekly meets are still up and running so Wednesday evenings is gaming over at the comic shop in Crawley is £5 for the evening with refreshments on site. Head on over to the socials for more information. Dave and the Lewis Board Game Club are all over at Trinity Gaming Cafe in Lewis on Thursdays, running from 7.30 until 11.30, just £3 ahead with a tuck shop on site too. Again, head on over to socials to book yourself a space. Mondays is Crawley Gaming Club over at Tilgate Community Centre in Crawley, running from 7 through to 11 and just £3 a head. Head on over to socials to see what's occurring. Also, next Monday on the 6th of September in Horsham is the Horsham Gamers Casual Gaming Event from 8 until 10.30 over at St John's Church Hall, Broadridge Heath, Horsham, RH12 3LD and that's free entry. And you can get hold of Ben and the team over on their socials if you have any questions. What do you mean I've missed another three medals? Oh well, I better go and catch up then, hadn't I? Anyway, until next week, peeps, myself and Brian will be glued to the screen whilst the Paralympics is on. So say goodbye, Brian. Keep safe, meeples. Keep those dice rolling, the cards shuffling, and we'll be right here for you next week. Thank you very much, that Paul, and uh, thank you guys for joining us once again. This week was it was interesting because I'd be willing to bet that most of you have never heard of this game. It's not one that uh, appears in the BGG top ten or the top one hundred, and you know, there's no reason that it shouldn't. It's great fun, wasn't it? Oh yeah, I'd be happy to play this anytime anyone was interested in breaking this out. I'd definitely be up for a game of it. Nice, nice. Anyway, guys, we are going to close it off for this week. It's been a pleasure talking to you once again, as it is every single week. I have got used to having James in the studio now. Uh, I hope you guys have too. It's a beautiful sound recording studio that we're in, namely my living room. Uh, <laughs> but we do have an awesome backdrop. Yes, uh, your commitment to the backdrop is quite impressive, Jason, I've got <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure the missus sees it that way. No, I don't think she does either. <laughs> anyway, guys, thank you very much for joining us. My name has been Jason. I've been James. And you've been listening to The Meeple Minded. And we've been talking about zoography, and we'll see you next week, or next Tuesday, for more tabletop gaming goodness. Ta-ta. Goodbye. Goodbye.